pastors, welcome to Monday morning, or maybe even better stated, welcome to the Monday morning pastor. Uh, I'm Doug Moister, and I'm here with Bob Hyatt. Bob. Hey, hey. Happy week two of Pastor Appreciation Month, man. Very nice. Very nice. I feel like Pastor Appreciation Month month is a thing that only pastors know about, which I, I it, it's so frustrating because I think all it does is is make pastors hope. I wonder if anyone will appreciate me this month. And then when they don't, it's like a big bummer. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, happy Pastor Appreciation Month. Yes. Yes. Yeah, we we appreciate what you all do. It's uh yeah, it's it's unseen work. I, I just I read a book, Bob, called The Other Half of the Church, hmm. um, by Jim Wilder and Michael Hendricks. And he had this great line in here. Uh he said, um, pastors need to learn how to stay small. Yeah. And I I just thought that was such a beautiful statement. But you know, just talking about how when the structure is related to our, you know, personality or our vision or our leadership. Uh, that may not be the most helpful thing, and we need to learn how to how to be small pastors, which I thought was like super super mm. cool. But and, and you know, so one of the hats that we wear as pastors, you know, besides uh, you know counselor and teacher and you know leader of of the board or the elders and all the different things is we have a pretty big role around leadership. Yeah. Um, and it feels like leadership is one of those things that, uh, as, as a coach, um, I I've, I've really enjoyed working with younger leaders mm. and helping them define what is leadership. Um, and yeah, we could probably get into the weeds on that for a while, but I'd love to just hear some thoughts from you, Bob. I mean, you've been in leadership for a, a long time. Um, not that you're old, you've just been leading since a young age. And so, <laughs> What would you say are like just some 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 life hack leadership things that have been really helpful for you over the years? Maybe it was a conversation with a with an older pastor or you know something around mm-hmm. a table where you just really learned or gleaned something that was helpful. Hmm. I think um I think one of the things that I've I've realized over the years that has helped me kind of unlock how I understood other leaders, but also how I understood myself is that as leaders, as pastors, we all exist on a continuum, right? And on one side of the continuum is narcissism. And on the other side of the continuum is codependency. And somewhere in the middle is that happy medium, right? And we're all on one side or the other. And I think what happens is most pastors tend to be on the codependent side, probably about 70% with about 30% on the uh, narcissistic side. And uh, I think the trick is to realize, and sometimes you have to ask other people uh, to help you discern, but to realize which side of the spectrum you tend towards. You know, uh, I think uh, narcissistic leaders tend to build big churches. They tend to lead by... uh, by just straight ahead and giving others what what that leader wants to give them, they have very rigid boundaries. It's all about their vision, right? They often will sacrifice individuals for the sake of the corporate, right? And they will kill others in not hopefully not literally, but you know they will they will uh, work others to death for the sake of of their own vision. And codependent leaders tend to be on the other side. Their, their churches are, are usually a little bit smaller because they are servants and they will pour themselves out on behalf of, of others. And there just isn't usually enough of them to go around. They don't have any boundaries, right? And the vision kind of changes depending on who they've talked to lately. And they will sacrifice the corporate for the sake of the individual. You know, they're the ones who will, they, they don't want to leave the one behind. And they will even kill themselves for others. You know, they will just work themselves to death. So I think for me, the hack is to kind of know which side you tend towards. Are you the straight ahead vision guy? Like, are you the, I'm, I'm just, we're going to charge the hill. Um, to me, that it's like a high love of self and a low love of others. And I think for that leader, it's a matter of, of like raising, raising the love and the the consideration you show to others 
like intentionally. And I think this is the type of leader that that quote you just mentioned really goes to is, is there are times when you have to make yourself small, right? There's times when you got to let others step in front of you. And there's times when you have to uh, maybe uh, put your thing on the back burner for a little while for the sake of others. But I think most pastors, I think what they need to learn to do is to have a higher love. They've got a, a high love of others. They need to learn to have a higher love of self. You know, they need to learn how to take care of themselves. They need to learn how to set boundaries. They need to, um, yeah, they need to learn how to um, occasionally speak up and maybe make themselves a little bigger at times. You know, they're, they're masters at making themselves small and they need to learn how to go the other way sometimes. So I guess the hack for me is to figure out, do I lean more towards the stronger side of leadership and the narcissistic side or more towards the softer and codependent side and and then figure out how can I tack back towards the middle, the healthy middle mm. of high love of self and high love of others. That That's probably not exactly a hack. That was probably more of an answer than you were looking for. So I apologize. But, no, well, yeah. I th I think that's I think that's really interesting because even in the interview that that we're about to hear I there there was a story that um that was shared about how there was a pastor that shot an elder like back in the 30s like literally shot him with a gun. Yeah. So like I I mean that sounds kind of narcissistic to me. Oh yeah. And a bit a bit unhealthy. Um very unhealthy. But I I think you're right. It, it's almost like can we, can we have the honest conversation? Can we surround ourselves with people that love us, that we trust, that can help us to see where we are, where our strengths lie, but then just to, to tack towards that middle. Cause yeah, I mean, for me, it's like, I'm definitely on the codependent side. Yeah. You know, that's, that's my, that's my wheelhouse. Like I feel comfortable there, you know, give me some sad songs, some tissues and some people to love on. I'm like a happy guy. Yeah. Um, but the, the area of growth, is just recognizing, yeah, but Jesus doesn't call me to stay there. And I think you're right. Sometimes we can take, pastors can take that road at the expense of their own health, their own yeah. sanity, their own, yeah, their families and all the different things like that. So it feels like that's, that's a, I, I think it's a good hack. I think it's a lifelong hack, but I think yeah, it's, it's a good one. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. and the one thing to recognize too, is nobody wants to be called a narcissist. You know, we're probably a little bit more <laughs> comfortable with saying, yeah, I'm codependent, but neither of those words right. is positive, right? There's not a good right. side to be on, right? So it, it might be harder to admit to the narcissistic piece, but it's not to say you're like a, um, uh, a, a clinically diagnosed narcissist with a personality disorder. No, it's just simply I tend to be a stronger leader and I tend to think about my vision and I want to push for that. and maybe I need to, to tack back towards the middle a little bit, you know? Um, or if you're on the codependent side, just begin to recognize the ways that, that you tend to, to bend for others. And, and that's a good, that's a good thing in life to be able to do that. But the trick is to know when to do that and when not to. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because on the codependent side, what you can do is you can end up loving people so well that you never speak truth into their life. Correct. And yeah. you, you never point them to Jesus. And and I think that that's where it's so helpful to realize whatever side of that spectrum you're on, they're both unhealthy, yes. right? Yeah. Like it's not like anything towards well, the narcissist the end is, is really unhealthy. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, I, I think that's really helpful. I, I think, and I think in that, even in that, just to realize like, man, leadership is challenging. I mean, Especially yeah, in a church when, when, when the monet, when, when your literal livelihood is, yeah. is attached to how people are feeling about the mission and the vision of your church. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the, the real challenge is I think pastors, especially, uh, and this is why maybe 70% of us are kind of more on that codependent side. We get rewarded for that, right? People love codependent mm -hmm. people because codependent people base their happiness on your happiness, right? And everyone loves the, the codependent pastor because they, um, they serve and they love and they're, you know, they, there's, there's not a lot of rough edges, you know? It's easier to spot the narcissistic leader. The problem is, you know, the narcissistic leader will leave a lot of bodies behind the bus, right? In the, in the, 
in the uh in moving the vision forward the um the codependent leader tends to leave some bodies behind the bus but often it's their own or their families you know and yeah. maybe mm. the body count isn't as high but often in a lot of ways it's even more tragic yeah wow yeah that's something to think about uh i i agree and it feels like that's that that is the weight right like are you, are you yeah. gonna sacrifice others or yourself for the thing that you feel like you're called to wow yeah um yeah i geez sorry i feel like my brain's just sort of hurting right now um <clears throat> yeah anyways with past appreciation month um we hope you're going to enjoy this interview one super quick hack that is really helpful um you know we Monday Morning Pastor is, we, we, we hook up with Kairos Partnerships. We're part of Kairos Partnerships. Bob and I are both coaches. I'm a spiritual director as well with Kairos. Um, but we have a fantastic weekly email that comes out for free. It's called Five Things in Five Minutes. If you go to our show notes, you will see that. Um, and again, if you want to grow as a leader, uh, it, it literally can take you five minutes to go through that. And there is always good stuff in that quick little encouragement that is sent out every Tuesday morning. And so, yeah, if you haven't yet signed up for it, we encourage you to sign up for it. Warren, thank you guys so much for joining us today on the Monday Morning Pastor. Before we jump into the conversation, tell us a little bit about yourselves and your current context. Yes, sir. Um, well, I am a father of four, husband of one, uh, former athlete, currently leading Renovation Church, uh, the church that I founded with my wife uh, in the city of Atlanta in 2011. That was Leonce. I'm Warren Bird. Uh, I work for the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability, ECFA. Uh, I've served as a pastor. I'm a very involved a layperson in local church and local church boards. Uh, and uh, I live in Metro New York City, two grown children. Uh, and, and my passion for this book is... Uh, Doug reflected in a prayer that you prayed uh, just before we went on the air that the teams are very close to the heart of God. And that was a big aha for me in reading the book of Acts and many other places. And uh, so I'm, I'm very excited about being able to put something in people's hands that can help them do teams well, because so many do it mediocre and don't realize it. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, and most of our listeners know, but if this is your first time joining in, I'm a pastor as well. So you may hear some scratching down because I'm excited to take some notes on this too. I feel like when it comes to leadership and, and especially leading teams, um, I think all of us can can say for certain that the pandemic has exposed a lot about leadership, but it's also given us some brilliant opportunities for how maybe we can change moving forward. And, and on our show, we, we've talked a ton about uh, leadership over the years. And you guys wrote a book called The Resilient Factor. Um, and there's another guy that was with you guys named Ryan Hartwig. And I would love for you to share, you know, maybe like some juicy stuff on him, but we'll push that to the end um, since he's not with you. Um, but what is the diff? like what's different about what you guys are bringing to the leadership conversation table? And Leon, I'd, I'd, I'd love to start with you first on that. Yeah, I, I think the primary difference we're bringing to this entire conversation on resilience and leadership in general uh, is not focusing it around a singular great leader or dynamic communicator uh, or strategic mind and, and everyone else kind of falls in rank and file and, and, and at the end of the day, they're executors of somebody else's ideas. Uh, well, what we're trying to say is we actually want to see people build healthy teams that are more than work groups, more than execution uh, um, conduits, but that this is a team that has been formed and forged through challenge, through intentionality, shaping shared mission uh, and vision, uh, having uh, a, a set of values that kind of govern the way they interact with one another, and, and really letting that be the center and the heart of church or organizational leadership rather than a person and, you know, the, uh, the people that report to him or her. Thank you so much. 
I'd add to that that uh, that yes, and uh, most books on teams are a story of a church or another leader who who built a team and did a great job of it. We take the best of research and a bunch of stories across a lot of contexts to be able to say here's here's the best practice from the literature and here's what it looks like in various team settings and what Leon's alluded to is so often groups call themselves teams but they're really just a working group or I Leon's I never heard to use that phrase before I love it an execution pipeline you know pastor says this we all ask how high to jump and we go out and we call it a, a team meeting but That's it right. really wasn't it was just a handing out of assignments and it didn't bring out the best of anyone, even mm. the senior leader. Yeah, well, I think that's really helpful. Maybe th- this is kind of the question that I was thinking is, what distinction do you make from team leadership and leading a team? Or is there a distinction? And so, yeah, either of you, uh, I mean, Warren, how about we just keep the ball rolling with you here for a moment? Well, team leadership, uh, reflecting, you know, all the way back to the first chapter of Genesis, where God said, let us. That, that now this is not any uh, heretical theology. One God, three persons. God, in a certain way, is a team modeling that from day one all the way up uh, through the book of Acts, where and all the Paul's letters talk about the use of everyone's gifts. And so, what we're trying to do is not just bring out the leader's gift, but if, if God has put you on this team, there's something, if, if you're doing teaming well and team leadership well, then everyone is contributing in a certain way out of their uniqueness to do something together that one person with a bunch of people just following could not do alone. Lance, would you have anything to add to that? Not, not in particular. I think Warren covered it well. Um, I, I do find, though, that uh, team leadership is kind of reduced down to, or, or even leading a team is kind of reduced down to uh, the weight being shouldered at a 90% rate by the point leader and everybody else is picking up what's left behind. And so I, I don't think what we're saying at all, so I guess I did have more to say, uh, is that we're kind of flattening out leadership in totality because we really do believe that. Um, that every team needs a point leader, but for it to actually be a team, then every gift, every talent, uh, um, every diversity of thought has to be brought to bear on ideas, on projects, on vision, on mission. Uh, and, and those others have to actually speak into the shaping of things uh, and not just be on the end product. So then, Doug, if that's what a team looks like, then that means we have to figure out how do you build trust? How do you make mm. it a safe place? How do, you, how do you fail? How do you disagree with each other? How do you deal with conflict in a constructive way? And those are all themes that the resilience factor tries to unpack. So, yes, we talk about resilience, and that is the ingredient uh, that's been missing that, that's now accentuated going forward. But we talk about a whole lot of other dynamics to what does it mean to become a highly effective, high-functioning team uh, where you truly have each other's back and trust is at a high level. Yeah, and, and I think that's what really captured my imagination as I was as I was reading through the book. And especially, I appreciate how you're not just talking about, this isn't just a book to read in terms of ideas, but it's also deeply rooted in practice and in activities and in all kinds of really phenomenal resources. Like it almost felt like one of those things where we all hope that when, when pastors or leaders come out of seminary or, you know, or even just an undergrad with an understanding of what pastoral ministry and leadership or what it looks like to do this, they, this would be like a base level. But there are things that I was reading here thinking, dang, I, that's so it's brilliant, like really well thought out. And so I guess like, I want to jump into that in just a minute, but I'd love to even just hear from, from, from your guys' perspective. And uh, Lance, we can start with you first. Like what challenges lie ahead for churches trying to build healthy, resilient teams? I mean, you are... set him up well. Like, <laughs> you know, 
<laughs> I mean, honestly, he's good at this. Honestly, the the challenges are innumerable. Uh, we are we are facing a culture uh, now, and and we put this in the book that you know direction has become dominance, clarity has become control, uh, expectations have become burdens, uh, accountability has become abuse, and so you have to navigate the the cultural context. I, I think we also have a generation of leaders coming up that. Uh, are underdeveloped because they haven't been through anything. Uh, and, and there's an expectation that you're just going to be handed a certain amount of leadership. Uh, I think one of the challenges we're facing is spending so much time looking in the rearview mirror of what was uh, that we're not actually focusing on what can be and what is. And I, I can go on and on and on, but, but as I look out over the landscape of leadership, uh, from radical individualism to people trying to build their own organization inside of the place that they're working to, to uh, a total lack of shared mission. You go into a room with six people and everybody's got an, a different idea of what the mission of the organization is. All of those become hurdles to actually building a resilient team. And, and the only other thing I would say is uh, to, to Warren's previous point, uh, building trust, shared mission. All of those things are actually a part of the steel that is forged into resist into resilience. Because if you don't have trust, you're not going to have a resilient team. Uh, if if you don't have a shared mission, you can't have a resilient team. If you don't have a code of conduct, you can't have a resilient team. And and so the pizzas we put together, we feel uh, I, I see them as kind of a blacksmith's bowl where all of these elements are being poured in and heated up so that this strong and resilient weapon called this team uh, is formed on the other side of it. Yeah, that's, that's really helpful. And, and, and Warren, I think I'd love to jump into this question for you in terms of what do you, um, like, tell us about where that starts then. Like, just thinking about ground zero, hey, I, I'm on board. I know this is the way forward. Where's, where's the best place to start? You know, obviously picking up the book, um, but even just from a perspective of like, where, where do leaders begin to develop these teams? Yeah, great question. And picking up the book, let me just clarify, that's for anyone. You don't have to be the team leader. That's you, right. can, you can do this as a team. You can read this as an individual, whether you're the leader or you're a contributor on the team. So we really worked hard to make sure that everybody who goes through it at whatever level will feel like there was a lot for me in there. What we did is we got together the three authors, Ryan Hartwick, the other one, he's a communications professor, uh, pastor's kid, grew up in the church, did his doctoral dissertation on church leadership teams. Great guy. We went to Lance's church, uh, experienced his team, and we then brainstormed for two days and said, okay, so how do we sequence this? Doug, that's the question you're you're getting at. And we, we broke it into, we called it eight movements, eight different mm -hmm. chapters, each with five units in it. So those 40 total, whether it's steps or days would be a bit bit overwhelming for, for all but the, the truly valiant and maybe even them. But uh, we, we start with seeking God. And, mm -hmm. and we start with a lot of biblical examples of unless you really are asking God to shape your team adventure and your team's purpose and your team's outcomes, then this is all a waste. So uh, to give a simple answer to you, the starting point is, and we walk you through, how do you pray and seek God for what he wants for your team? And then we wander all through uh, trust building and identifying clarity of purpose. And as you say, it, it's funny, we we told the publisher, we really want to make this a workbook. And the publisher initially thought, oh, so discussion questions at the end of the chapter. No, 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 no. We want things inside that says, okay, pause here as a team, like individually, write your understanding of your team's purpose. Mm -hmm. Now mm -hmm. go around the circle and, and have your eyes open at how different uh, the same people in the same room on the same team would articulate the purpose of your team because purpose, as we point out in the book, uh, drives a team so much more than we realize. And clarity of purpose just gives you a boost and momentum far beyond uh, what you could do alone. 
Yeah. I would only add to that uh, on the prayer part. It, it's praying, and we also threw in fasting, uh, but also assessing with honesty your situation. Uh, and when I'm doing coaching and consulting, that is probably the first big gap I find is uh, the point leader or even the rest of the team. They don't actually want to look at what's under the hood because of how ugly it might be. And so they, they can't actually start to build anything better because of a refusal to assess the situation as is. And, and so what, where we tell people to start is pray and assess. What is the Lord saying? And where are we actually? Not where we want to be. I don't want pastor magic on the Sunday morning numbers. I don't, I don't want assumptions and forecasts on where we are financially. I, I don't want to assume that we are all pointing in the same direction. We need to ask the question, where are we? How did we get here? Before we can begin to ask the question of where we're going. Man, I, I think that's so helpful because I my, my sense is when you bring about assessments, there's usually two, there's probably three responses, right? There's a one response of um, uh, guilt-ridden, I, I have failed miserably, mm -hmm. I'm terrible, or they're a bunch of liars, they don't know what they're talking about. And it's probably that middle space of like feeling the reality of it and saying, okay, if that's where I am, that's where we're gonna, we're, we gotta start there, we gotta start moving forward from this place. Um, can you think of just a, a story that is hope filled or just a story of, of resurrection that you've seen when a pastor has, has looked at, or when a team has looked at how dysfunctional it is and you've just seen health kind of grow out of that. Uh, yeah, I, I, church. Yes. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I mean, my, my own team went through that and I, uh, Warren was so helpful. Um, you know, I'm an Enneagram eight and, and once I'm ready to fight, I'm ready to fight. And Warren really, really helped me to shape kind of the unpacking of our story. Mm. Um, our pastor and elder team was incredibly unhealthy, uh, and it became that way for a number of reasons. And we went through a pretty significant trauma as a team in 2019 and then rolled right out of that uh, as a team and the church and then rolled right out of that into the pandemic. <laughs> and, and so... You know, you go from a, ma and, and a major, major breakdown uh, in team dynamic, unity, communication, uh, and a splinter. I, I wouldn't say we had a church split, but a church splinter because of it. Uh, and then right into a pandemic where everybody's unsure, everybody's uncertain, nobody trusts anybody. The world looks like it's literally about to fall apart. Uh, and the church is not meeting. We didn't meet for 14 months uh, physically. We weren't able to do that uh, because the, the rules were so strict here in Atlanta. Uh, and so we have had to navigate a great deal to get to the place where we are right now. And, and again, a big part of that was assessing. Here's what happened. I'm not going to color code it uh, or sugarcoat it rather. I'm not going to say it was less than it is. I shared it with Warren. I shared it with Ryan. I said, here, here are the places where I have to take ownership. Here are the places where I can't take ownership. Um, and, and I'm going to try to tell this story in a way that is not denigrating anybody, but tells the truth about where I failed and where they failed. And, um, and now our team on the other side of it has never been healthier. It's never been stronger. It's never been clearer on why we exist and and what we exist for. And really the church is flourishing because of it. Yay, God. That's awesome. Yeah. So Warren, what was that like for you in that, just to see the transformation? And my sense is like, as a, as someone who's doing coaching, consulting, and same thing with you, Lance, like there, there's gotta be this moment when you're sitting with a team or an organization and you're thinking, this is kind of, you know, we're in fight or flight, or it's, it's either we're going to change or it's going to die. I mean, what is that process for you like to watch that take place, Warren? Well, let me give a metaphor. Nobody starts their marriage by saying, honey, would you marry me? And let, let's have a mediocre marriage. Yeah. <laughs> let's just spend our years. But, but yet teams 
get that way and marriages get that way and and you don't realize it nobody wants to put words to it we don't want to blame our spouse or maybe we do want to blame everybody <laughs> else on the team or in our marriage and and uh the the aha that i see this book being able to do and the insights from it is for people to say kind of like lance did well we thought we were doing okay and then we kind of took that step back and we decided to have a safe place to have these discussions of of honesty transparency and and to dream a new dream together to say what might god do if we were firing on all cylinders or what might god do are we really firing on all cylinders to be able to get there and that's just a beautiful thing the story I was going to give earlier was actually, everyone will probably remember the terrible wildfire several years ago in California and the town Paradise, California. Ironically, Paradise became a bed of ashes where mm -hmm. the vast majority of homes, businesses burned to the ground in a matter of minutes. And the majority of the townspeople just gave up, said, I'm, I'm moving away. But one church, Paradise Alliance, Christian Missionary Alliance Church, said, no, rather than circle the wagons and deal with our own wounded, of which every single person, including all the pastoral staff, were feeling the pain themselves, said, mm -hmm. no, this is our moment. God is going to use us to rise to a challenge that we've never faced before and do something we never dreamed possible. And that meant none of us can do it alone. And we have to really move to a new level of what it means to be a team. And that's the opening story. And you can guess uh, where that landed. Speaking of pandemics, wildfires and all, one of the points the book makes, and Lance, I'd love you to unpack it if you would, is the disruption in recent years is actually a new normal, not that we may have another pandemic next year, but we've had an awful lot of calm and, and leadership needs to know how to lead through the rough spots too. Well, and, and what I would say, Warren, and thank you for handing that off to me is, you know, going back to pray and assess. The first thing I believe that any um, leader that is going to lead into the future needs to accept is that disruption is normal. Um, and what I've seen in response to the pandemic, to the financial crisis, to the riots over George Floyd's death, to the political incivility that, that we watched through the last election cycle, what I've seen is a reaction of shock and appall because we have experienced a small window of, of uh, a, a lack of disruption and somehow took that as normalcy. But if you go back through the history over the last two to 300 years, you will see that there has been almost constant disruption, whether that is nationally, geopolitically, globally, it's never stopped. Uh, and, and the little window that we had, let's call it from you know late 80s, Reagan era, up until the pandemic of relative calm, uh, lulled us to sleep into believing that Disruption was something that comes and goes and is to be avoided. But I am convinced that uh, that if you are not leading through disruption, you're not actually leading. You're managing. Anyone can manage a boat on a calm sea. You don't even have to have the skills to drive it. I know because I did it. The captain allowed me. He's like, and it was a 80 foot vessel. And he said, "Why don't you go ahead and park it?" And the sea was so smooth. Yeah, <laughs> the sea was so smooth. And, and the boat so controlled that I was able to do that having never driven a boat. Now, if we were out in rough waters, well, that's, that's a different story. I'm now I'm, I have to know how to navigate. I have to know how to steer. I have to know where we're going. That's leadership. And so I think we've got to get to a place where we stop seeing disruption as something to be avoided or, or, or even a new normal. It's an old normal that uh, that came in full force all at once and really called us up to a greater level of leadership. 
And just by the way, if you're as a listener wondering, am I more of a leader or a manager? The website to the book, resiliencefactor.info, offers you a video in which Leonce Crump helps distinguish this is leading, this is managing, and the skills you need for each and how to move from managing to leading. And ideally, the Resilience Factor book can help you do that. Mm. Yeah, and, and to be sure, I'm not setting management against leadership. You, you need managers in every system, every organization. Um, but we need to be clear that you can't manage yourself through a crisis. Right. You actually have to lead through it. Uh, and life is going to continue to throw us varying challenges. Uh, and, and if we are set on our heels every single time, uh, then our organizations will never be what they could be. And I, and I think there's something so hopeful about what I, yeah, what I'm hearing both of you say, because it's almost like there's this, the pandemic offers us this opportunity where we recognize that the playing field's kind of leveled now. And like that, mm -hmm. well, especially in, in the last, you know, 18 months, you know, how many podcasts and videos have come out about, you know, the great lead person who has failed miserably morally or whatever. And it's almost like moving us into this space of truth telling, of trust building, of of recognizing that we need to begin to grow deeper roots, and we need to actually recognize that it's it's not good for a man or woman to be alone. Like we've got to figure out right. how to do this thing together. And and I just I appreciate your I appreciate the stories first of all because I think stories just are transformative. Um, and this probably uh, I mean. Were there ever moments during that assessment period, Lance, when you felt like you like, man, I, I, I did, maybe I need to quit. Maybe I need to step down or maybe this isn't the right fit. Well, yeah. in answering, before you answer, remember, this is coming out on Monday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the, that's the, that's the, we're thinking about yes. filling out that resignation day. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> but you are, Leonce, the type A guy who could lead something solo. You have the talents, the gifts and all, and yet you've chosen to do it with team. Yeah. And, um, and to answer your question, there were, as I assess where we were, um, there were many days that I thought maybe I'm not the guy maybe I need to step down. Maybe I need to get out of the way. Um, I don't really see a way to the other side of this. Uh, you know, and it was, it was an incredibly painful, incredibly challenging time and everybody didn't survive the journey, you know, and, and I spent a lot of time, um, reading the Exodus story and just trying to get a sense of how did Moses do this, you know, and, and, and there's one scene is one of my favorites where God is like, Hey, you can go into the promised land, but I'm not coming. And Moses is like, well, if you don't, if you're not going, I don't want to go. And God says, take your people and go. And Moses is like, they're not my people. They're your people. And they're like, he's literally arguing with God about who's responsible, you know, for what's happening with, with Israel. And, and, and it, it gave me courage and hope because I realized that my plight wasn't new and it wasn't unique uh, and it is navigable. And all I need to do is trust the spirit, yeah. trust wisdom, ask the right questions, and eventually we'll get on the other side of it. And, and we, it, we did. It took us uh, two and a half years, but we did. Yeah, that's – and I, I, first of all, thank you for that because my, my sense is – my sense is that there there are people right now. I, I mean, I, I feel that, I mean, on Mondays, right? This is the day that I think most pastors, leaders, people who are involved in teams feel that. Like, am I making the difference that I set out to? I think that's why I think we have some unreal leaders who have not said yes to jumping on teams and, and being part of leadership because they're afraid of that moment. And I think oh, yeah. and those, those leaders can read the resilience factor all by themselves yeah. and find out it's a safe thing. Yeah. And now I can lead my team through it. Uh, and, and that, that I, that they can be given permission to still be their personality and yet do it with the enhancement of the symphony all around. Yeah, that's right. 
That's right. And and Warren, I feel like you, you know, you've you've been in you've been in the church world church game for for quite a few years. You know, you you've kind of He's saying that because I have more gray <laughs> hair on this uh, video recording version than anyone else. Okay, go ahead. Thank you. but I I feel like you've seen the sort of you've seen the whole movement of leadership over the years, right? Like you've you've witnessed the the rise of the mega pastor star or the celebrity preachers and all of that like could you maybe speak a little bit of just the history of like how did we get here like how how did this how did we get to the point like what, what was there a linchpin or a moment when all of a sudden there was a realization by 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 the church by by people in power where they, we just realized like man we can't do this the way we've been doing it for all these years like things need to change I wish it were that simple. The nerd in me, anytime there's a biography of some great leader over the years, uh, I read a church leader. And so I've, I've found the mega church pastor of the 1920 who shot mm-hmm. a guy in his office. Uh, this is uh, First Baptist Fort Worth. <laughs> or the, the Charles Hill Virgin biography. And, and I, I didn't find that level of dirt on him. But uh, a lot of large churches have occurred over the years with a singular leader. Mm-hmm. And, and when that leader falls, the ripple effect today is much stronger because every newspaper first is willing to tell that story. Second is willing to tell it instantly. And third is, is able to be picked apart. Uh, by people that have lost respect for the institution. And, and, and you follow Gallup's survey since 1979 in confidence in institutions, including religious organizations, and it's mm-hmm. just gone down, 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 down with each passing year. So all of that adds together that when leaders are human and abuse power in some way or privilege, or it, it often starts with, but I'm the exception <laughs> type thinking, and they fall. So often, those who fall did not have a true team Correct. that nipped things in the bud and said, Pastor, we need to go on a walk. Uh, Pastor, I'm putting my job on the line. Mm-hmm. But uh, there weren't groups like the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability that I worked for that. That, that says, uh, no, we need to have that team approach with your board and senior leader that's in a healthy relationship so that we can preclude and minimize the likelihood of you to fall. So I really think, in answer to your question, a long, long roundabout circle, that we've always had big leaders doing solo things who fall at mm-hmm. a certain but mm-hmm. the more we have a true team effort, the less, and that includes with the pastor and board, much as well as the senior leadership team in healthy relationship, the less likely those big falls are going to be. Mm-hmm. Layouts, you've, you've seen under behind the curtain on a bunch of things. Uh, we haven't really talked about this. You want to offer an opinion uh, with, uh, you know, lots of people listening in? <laughs> I think you covered it well, Fred. <laughs> Uh, so another, I think you covered it very well. I, I mean, I, I've I've never heard the story about the pastor shooting a guy in his office, but that, I've, yeah, Frank, Frank Norris, First Baptist Church. <laughs> oh uh, my god! Wow, an, an amazing story. Wow, uh, and, wow. and that's only the beginning yeah. of of the antics. Uh, but anyway, that's yeah. not what this podcast is about. Well, but it could be very cool. Well, and I think, but and, and honestly, like I think, I think that's why I jumped at the opportunity to have you guys on because I, I'm so tired of hearing stories of failed teams. I'm so tired of hearing stories of the. I, I mean, God, like most of the people that I come in contact with who are in ministry are no who are no longer in there. It's because of it's because of the abuse of power. It's because of all these other things that that I think you're trying to say. Hey, instead of just talking about how bad things are, let's offer some hope. Let's offer some 
practices, let's offer some disciplines that can actually help us get us to a different space. And so, like, I've got a couple more questions, and and so one of them is just for fun. So let me start with that one. But like, like, tell me about your favorite team, or like, and it doesn't have to be church team. It could just be like sports team. It could be something outside of the church world where you've just seen a team operate in a way where you're like, dude, these, this is what it could look like. Anakin Skywalker <laughs> yes. and Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah, there we go. Star Wars. I love it. They, they were a great team mm. until Anakin decided he wanted to be a solo actor. Mm. Mm. That's good. That's good. Warren, how about you? The Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter. All right, look at the contrast. David, since we talked about abuse of power and everything, that was, that was really one of the core pieces of his sin. Nobody could tell David no. Mm. Nobody That's right. And yet, here you got two extremely strong personalities in the New Testament of Peter and Paul, and you read like the book of Galatians, and they have at it with each other, and they call each other on the carpet, and they're better because of mm. it, and they received it from each other. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, my favorite, my favorite line from Galatians 2.14 is, I confronted Peter to his face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We need a little more of that, too, for whoever's listening. Yeah. <laughs> stop, stop. Well, I mean, genuinely. So this is a part of our team culture that is built into the Resilience Factor workbook is we have an agreement. We don't talk about someone to someone else. We talk to the person that we have the issue with. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it is understood on our team that if you come to me and you say, hey, man, I just need to vent a little bit, or, or I just need to to uh, verbally process what I'm feeling. I really, I don't like how Warren handled what, I'm going to stop you and say, sounds like you need to have a conversation with Warren, and I'm going to give you one week to have it, or I'm going to tell Warren he needs to come and have a conversation with you. Mm-hmm. So I always love that about Paul. When Paul said, I didn't, I didn't go through Barnabas, I didn't tell the other Judaizers, I went to Peter's face and I told him that what he was doing was not in line with the gospel. Mm. If we can just get that as teams, the rest of it will fall like dominoes. Mm. Yeah. Well, and I think because what, when that's there, there has to be trust because it, if there's no trust, mm-hmm. that ain't happening, right? There has to be trust. Mm-hmm. There has to be a level of respect. There has to be a level of truth telling where you're just, you're, you're all in, right? This is where we're going. This is who we are. This is our purpose. And what's happening there. Yeah, I I feel like that is something that is such a challenging thing for many leaders who aren't eights on the Enneagram uh, to do. But even those who are eights, I know it's challenging for them as well. Like it is not easy to just speak to someone's face about what's going on. Um, yeah, last question. So you're let's just put let's put ourselves in the space of you know, I, I am a solo pastor. I'm pastoring a small church. It's me and the church secretary. Um, and we have a part-time children's person. What, how, how might this, this book help me and my team, very small team, kind of work through being just very courageous and, and sort of upping our game in the resilience factor? So what the resilience factor will do will challenge you not to think that that is your team. Mm. There we go. You took the words out of my mouth, Warren. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, then you go for yeah. it. <laughs> no, no, I want to hear you do it. You're there. I'm just so excited. Ephesians <laughs> 4, are... 11 and 12 are all about equipping yeah. the saints for the work of the ministry, which means whether it's a paid staff or even better, a volunteer staff, you are building teams of people to do the work of the ministry. And you say, Ah, but I can't get people to volunteer. I can't. That's why you do this team book together as a team. Mm. And they own into the purpose because you're trying to get them to volunteer, perhaps in their mind, for your thing. And they don't get that it's their ministry. And it's kind of like the Home Depot old slogan you can do it and we can help. That's the role of the pastor. And that's the role of a team leader. To say, got all these awesome assets around the table, resources, incredible people with incredible talents. How do I help them rise to the challenge and do something together that they never could have done alone for the glory of God at that? We're not just making widgets. This is an opportunity. And and let the resilience factor show 
that pastor and any other leader, let's have you build a dream team with what you've got. It's the Moses deal of, yeah. of God saying, hey, what do you have in your hand? Oh, I, I got a staff. I think I can use that. I tell you what, throw that staff on the ground. Let's let's have some fun with it. Yeah, throw it down, pick it up. <laughs> I think that's so good because, again, it's – I love the reframing of we're not looking for for lead solo pastors. We're looking for lead equippers and lead encouragers and lead, yeah, team leaders. Just how do we get the best out of the people? How do we see what people have to offer and call that out? Man, that's so cool that you can pick up a stick like that. That's so cool that you're able to 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 use your gift in this way. And I see that as such a fitting part. So in some ways, it feels too like we have leaders have to have the courage to trust the spirit of God to show us like the, just the uniqueness of the people that we have gathered, which I just find super, super encouraging. Well, gentlemen, uh, let me yeah, yeah, go ahead. one quick story, a pastor in Delaware who told me, Hey, I used to lead the church. Now I lead the teams mm. who lead the church. Mm. And that makes all the difference. Mm. And that's a yes. prayer of what the resilience factor can do for any. Mm. Well, gentlemen, it has been an honor to hang out with the two of you today. Um, and uh, yeah, Lance, can I ask you to to leave uh, our listeners with the benediction? Yeah. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And may he make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. And would you believe today that together... You'll go further and you'll go faster than you ever will by yourself. Amen. Thank you, guys. To the pastors, to the men and women without honor in their own hometowns, neighbors roll their eyes and friends walk away because the fit doesn't fit like it did. You aren't invisible. Your service isn't unseen or unappreciated. Those hospital visits mattered more than you'll know. Those meals those words, that wisdom, that rebuke that didn't go over well, that sermon that didn't even land with you, that ball game of your kids that you didn't get to see, to an all too thankless job, but one so well done, we say, thank you, pastors. Thank you. You are lamps on stands for everyone in the house, and it's so much lighter with you here. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast. This podcast is produced by Joel Inbound at Audelin Productions. Uh, he is ready and available for any of your podcast, video, or creatively telling your story needs. Also, if you're looking to grow in your leadership, Kairos Partnerships offers several free resources to help you do that on a weekly basis. We encourage you to follow us at Kairos Partnerships on Facebook and Instagram. And subscribe to our weekly newsletter that J.R. Briggs writes weekly called Five Things in Five Minutes. You can find the link in the show notes to subscribe. We highly recommend it. And lastly, if this podcast has added value to your ministry, we ask that you would leave us a review on whatever platform you are downloading us on. And we ask that you would share it with other pastors. We're really hoping to continue to create a community of pastors that care for one another. We'll see you next week.